Hello and welcome to the Press Room Podcast with me, Sam Duffett. And me, Sam Fielding. The Press Room Podcast is a podcast series bringing you an exclusive insight into the sporting industry by speaking to managers, coaches, players and members of the media to discuss their journey in sport. On today's podcast, we're speaking to the Merseyside reporter for The Athletic, Simon Hughes. In many eyes, Simon has one of the best jobs in the world, covering one of the biggest clubs in world football in the current Premier League champions, Liverpool. As we will find out, it's not always been glitz and glamour for Simon, starting his reporting career at non-league Marine and working his way up from the Crosby Herald to his position at The Athletic. So please welcome to the Press Room Podcast, Simon Hughes. Well, welcome, uh, Simon, to the Press Room Podcast. How's things with you, mate? Are you, uh, you okay? Yeah, not too bad. All good, yeah. Just, just doing the same thing day in, day out at the moment, working from... The office that I've got in my house, and um, looking forward to a, a period when I can get out and start seeing people again. There was a time when Liverpool was the envy of the rest of the country, actually, in Merseyside, when you guys were in tier two. Um, and for <laughs> <laughs> a short really, while, that, as, as that happens in the course of modern history, but yeah. Yeah, everyone everyone was very envious of Merseyside, but yeah, I guess I guess everyone's just hoping we can return to some kind of normality soon. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Can't wait. I mean, I, I had a, I had a, just from a work perspective, you know, a few weeks ago, was able to get out and, and spend a bit of time with Marines players ahead of the, the FA Cup match. And uh, I haven't really done that that much this year. I mean, again, I don't want this to sound like a tale of woe. I know a lot of people are going through um, a lot of issues and far worse than this, but it just, just sort of reminded me of, of how great the job can be when you're, when you're out and, and speaking to people and, and getting to know people and understanding their stories rather than, I suppose, as real, everybody in the industry at the moment in the, is, is doing at the moment. It's a lot of the phone call work and Zoom work, which is, is okay. But, but I just feel that, you know, that sort of one-to-one contact with people leads to, to far better copy and a, a greater understanding of what's going on. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to that point at, at some point in the future. It's funny, really, when as we as we go through the things that we'll, we'll chat about throughout the, the podcast, Marine's quite a a topic that will follow you around quite a little bit, really. So I guess that was quite special for you going back and 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 going back to those early days of your career with Marine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I I started out watching Marine really in the nineties. Um, like in that period, I mean, my, my dad was a, a Liverpool supporter, still is a Liverpool supporter, but Marine was just around the corner where I lived in Crosby. And um, they had a really good team in, in, in that period and getting getting to, you know, quite far into the FA Trophy. We got to the semi-finals, FA Cup runs, got to the third round, won two league titles back-to-back. That was four seasons on the bounce, that. So it was like a really exciting period, as opposed to be watching non-league football. You know, I wasn't lured in by the sort of the, 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 the closer contacts with the players or... Or like sort of the way people frame it now, you know, the, the sort of the real football. It was just the fact that Marine were doing well, and I just kept on going back because you sort of want to see winning football, don't you? That that's what um, that's sort of what what excited me really. So I, I suppose I was to some extent a glory hunting Marine fan of if, if that if that makes the sense. Cabin, the cabin, many of them come. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I I, I ended up like um, I ended up taking over the, the the local papers coverage of Marine after. After quite a few years of, of, of watching the team, and, and um, that was my way into journalism. Really, quite quite fortunate. I, I, I think you know that the, I was able to sort of 
get on to the back end of the, the periods where local newspapers, I wouldn't say thrived, but still had a, a certain amount of weight, you know, within within the, the locality. So um, I was really lucky, like managed to get in with the Crosby Herald and, and ended up taking over their coverage. And then that that was the sort of the, the groundwork for me and the, and the platform to go and I suppose do what I'm doing now. What were those experiences like, Simon, for you? Because as we were talking before we came on the podcast, that everyone sees you doing this job now at, at the Athletic, but but no one really looks back at the time when you started out. So, so what were those experiences like for you? Yeah, well, I, mean, I remember the first time I was asked to to do uh, a match report. For, for, it was actually for the for the Pink Echo, which sadly doesn't exist anymore. The Crosby Herald doesn't exist anymore, but the Pink Echo was an institution in Liverpool. I mean, I. I wish it had come back. I absolutely got that excited reading that paper, getting back from the match, Liverpool or, or Marine, and and you know, sort of five or five, six o'clock, picking up the paper and seeing what had happened. It was it was you know breaking news essentially with a lot of background stuff, a lot of amateur football in there as well. So you were able to to keep a, an eye on what was going on in the amateur scene in Liverpool. I, I played junior football and occasionally you'd see your, your name and your team in there it was brilliant absolutely loved it yeah so the first game uh, the recovers I think I think it was Alfred in a way Marine got hammered and the, the instruction was to make a few notes on what what was going on try and make it obviously coherent for uh, somebody at the desk back in back in Liverpool uh, so when you phone in, you can tell them exactly what's happened and they will sort of write the story around the details that, that you give them. So there, there was obviously there was no mobile, uh, there was no, uh, there must have been a texting facility, but but the, <laughs> I, I just don't think that the, uh, the, the, the sports desk had, start, had cottoned on that that might be a useful way of doing it. So I had to phone phone in, the copy taker took what I'd, I'd, I'd said and then, whipped it into some very small match reports. It was probably no more than 60 words, I'd imagine. Yeah. And um, so that's how it started. And then gradually, uh, the I think the, the Crosby Herald, as it was, uh, the, the, the guy who was in charge of, of the sports section was a, was a fellow called Peter Guy, who I think, being totally honest, probably didn't want to spend his, his Saturday afternoons following Marine around the country. You know, it was a big job on his, his hands during the week and, was looking for somebody uh, to, to help out really and and and, and cover the games that, that he he didn't you know he wasn't able to make it to so I ended up doing a bit of that um doing some match reporting you know I, I mean I'd love to read back what I wrote at that time because I can't imagine it was very good um and then off the back of that I sort of ended up being taking over the, the, the coverage of the, the whole club. So it'd be back page news, news stories. And I, I'd say that's where I really sort of began to really appreciate what journalism was and and um, sort of feel my way in and, and get more experience really. Because when you put your name to a back page news story, it tends to have more of an impact than a match report from a game that's mm-hmm. like sort of two or three, four days earlier. So um, that was when it started for real for me, really, and, and made made me realise what I, I wanted to do. And it was a great in, you know, a great great way in for me. And it sort of, I, I would say, I mean, I wrote about it when Marine uh, ahead of the game they played in the FA Cup first round against Colchester, where I sort of explained that that's where it really changed for me, where your relationship with people around the club becomes a bit different. And I wanted to sort of follow this as a career and and be as professional as I could be. 
in doing what I was doing. So sometimes that would involve a bit of criticism. And in that period, just saying, so it turns out, Marine weren't doing so well. And I think, you know, it sort of made my relationship with the famous manager, Rowley Howard, um, quite uh, strained at times. Although I must say, like Rowley, despite he was the most, well, he was the most um, longest serving manager of world football. So it was quite a baptism, really, you know, working with somebody who'd been in the game for 30 odd years who particularly didn't like a teenager questioning his methods, you know. So, you know, there were, there were a few occasions where uh, I felt the uh, I felt the heat off him, you know, got, became quite familiar with the smell of his breath, I must say. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was quite a challenge, you know. It was it was, it was quite a challenge, really. And it, it was it was it was similar to the stuff that you do now, really. You know, just obviously Liverpool. Covering Liverpool and Merseyside football and Premier League football matters to to more people, but the, the processes are fun, fundamentally the same. When you're covering a club of marine size, with the responsibilities that I had, you, you know, you've got to build relationships, build contacts, get people to trust you, get stories, you know, make tough decisions sometimes on you know sort of um, on what is printed, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned this in the in the piece that I wrote in the Athletic about. Yeah, the the, the the head of the Colchester game about how the real changer for me was there was one game where he'd started the season really really badly. I think it was Rowley's last season in charge, so it was obviously there was quite a lot riding on it. I think it was his thirty third, thirty fourth season in charge, and there's a lot of talk about that. He'd started really badly. I think he was second to the bottom in the league, knocked out of both cup competitions, revenues down, went to Osset Town. Uh, which was in Yorkshire, and I and I studied. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> amazingly, Osset for a town of its size, had two non-league football clubs in the same division, which there can't be many places that have that. So there was Osset Town and Osset Albion. And they've they've now merged, Simon. Merged, yeah. I know. I know the yeah. common sense has, has prevailed in this. Finally, I've got wrote down here actually because I remember when uh, I remember reading your <laughs> first piece when you moved to Athletic, and it was a big thing about Osset and stuff, and, yeah. and you obviously gone to it now. Osset was where I actually played my school county cup final about yeah. eight or nine years ago. So when I saw that, I remember seeing it and going, wow, wow you know, Osset was it's a weird hour. It's like a, yeah. You, you, I mean, not many people know where Osset is, but yeah, they, yeah. Well, yeah they finally merged the, the two clubs anyway. They're now one. Yeah, it's a great, it's, it's a great, fascinating part of the world, I think, in terms of modern British history. Um, hmm. David, David Peace is from there, isn't he? Oh, he lives in Osset. Yeah. I know oh, he lived in Japan for a while. I think last I heard he'd moved back to. Oss is, of course, the famous author who wrote Damned United and a variety yeah. of other books. And yeah, it's, it's it's a fascinating place. And I just remember that day, like, you know, going in. And I remember the team were training outside. Rowley and all his coaching staff were inside in the clubhouse. And I thought, well, who's, who's coaching the players? They're just running around. And then I thought, well, I just got off uh, my public transport. I needed to go to the toilet. Went to the toilet, slam, door goes behind me. It was uh, Rowley's uh, first-team coach, fella uh, called David Thompson, and uh, who wasn't happy with my reporting with the club. Who said, you know, you, you know, sort of, you've given us a hard time, blah blah blah. I can't remember what he said to be honest, but I just remember his face going redder and redder and redder. At which point, Rowley and, and his assistant Roger Patience showed up, and you know they were not happy as well. Um, and they, they were, a couple of my mates actually played for the for the team uh, same year in me, as me in school. Played for the same school team, same Sunday league team, same Sunday league. And uh, 
Yeah, two, two lads. You know, I, I always sort of made a sort of an effort in some ways not to involve them in me trying to find out what was going on at the club and, 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 and create problems for them, if that makes sense, because they were the same age as me, 17, 18, you know, promising young footballers who, who could have played at a high level, I think, you know, really good, talented players, two of the best players in, in the North Liverpool area at the time for their age. And I always like sort of thought, well, I don't want to like sort of put them in a difficult position. So I wasn't felt, and whenever I spoke to them, we wouldn't speak about Menin really, about what was going on with them. But Roly and, the, and, the, and his assistants had got it into the heads that these two young players had been undermining their authority. It was just so paranoid. It was weird. And um, I just set them straight on that and said, that, that's just not true. And I like to think I stood my ground and I probably didn't when I look back at it, but uh, it did help. It must have been quite an intimidating moment for you, though, so early <laughs> in your career. It was, yeah, yeah, it, it was. But uh, I'm sort of, you know, at the end of the day, if you write something and people care about it, there's always going to be comebacks, isn't there? You know, I can't, I can't, I don't think they handled it badly. I must say it was just in, quite intimidating. I, I can't, I don't think what they did was wrong. I think what they did was, you know, they were obviously passionate about the job that they were doing. They cared about the job that they were doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think what they did was wrong. I just think that it was a real introduction to what life can be like as a journalist. If if you print something that the people who are <laughs> relatively important and central to the story, uh, if they feel like, uh, you know, if they, if they feel upset about it, there's always going to be some sort of comeback. And that, that's, that's been the case throughout my journalistic career. So, yeah, um, I've got no problem with that at all. I just think it was it was it was a good thing for me to, to learn about that. And the one thing I will say is, Rowley, you know, would always pick up the phone the following Tuesday or Wednesday when I, whenever I phoned him, even though like you know it was a difficult period for him, and and I was possibly you know maybe took it too far and wasn't as smart as I thought that I was at the time or as influential. I think. You probably just, you know, I, I was probably getting a bit too big for my boots in some cases because it's your first, your first sort of uh, exposure to seeing your name in the paper. I always used to get excited by that. Remember, mm. like, sort of being out on a night out with my mates on a on a Wednesday or a, when did the paper come out? It came out on a Thursday. So I remember what I remember one particular night being out in Crosby, having a few drinks with my mates, and the the paper had landed. In outside one of the local shops before, I remember like looking at my name on the back of the page, thinking, "Wow, you know, like sort of still in school at the time, you know what I mean?" And writing, I thought that was quite an exciting thing to do. Like I've got no shame in saying that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a great learning learning curve for me, and like sort of as the years progressed, I mean, I had to do that for a long time. You know, a lot of it was unpaid as well. You know, sort of occasionally get a little bit of a dropsy off the paper when they felt they were being charitable. And that, that frustrated me because I felt like I was doing a, a full and proper job for them and saving them a lot of money in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, I mean, sort of 2007, we had gone through another manager, Alan McDonald and things weren't going well, funnily enough. I know obviously, Sam, you've got links to Fleetwoods. It was, a, it was a game at Fleetwoods where it all kicked off after that because there was a... Uh, quite a few problems behind the scenes with the manager and um, yeah, in his absence, Marine won a game of Fleetwood uh, 3-2. This was just the point Fleetwood were on the way up. So it was a big yeah. win that for Marine. It was, it, was, it was a big win because he'd started the season quite badly. 
And uh, one thing led to the other. The, the chairman wasn't happy again with some of the reporting. Um, said there was scaremongering people. The manager wasn't there. The club wouldn't offer, offer an explanation why. Why I knew why he wasn't there. I couldn't print the real stories why he wasn't there. And um, yeah, like the, the, they had a big FA Cup game coming up the following week. So I was saying, you know, this is the bigger game, even bigger than Fleetwood, because when they lose games in the FA Cup, it inevitably leads to... Uh, or if you get knocked out early, it inevitably leads to to cutbacks at the club because that's just the way it was at Marine. You know, if you get knocked out early, players go. And I mentioned this, and apparently all chairman was saying all the players are worried and upset. And if we lose this game, it's on your head and this, that, and the other. Marine lost the game. It wasn't on my head. Uh, we lost the game not because I gave them the wrong uh, team formation or tactical shape or anything else like that. We, we lost you didn't the give the ball away for the winning I goal. I didn't give the ball away for the goal. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, yeah, and at that point, that was just the point where I I, uh, I moved on to another job. So I, I was, um, yeah, I'm forever grateful for, for that experience, and and um, absolutely loved doing it. Um, and I, for anyone who's like sort of younger, I, I would say if you can, I know it's harder now because there's fewer papers to work on. Uh, a lot of them have closed down. I'd say go and do it because you make a lot of mistakes. You learn how to handle yourself a bit more. You learn a lot about how to construct the basics of any news story, I'd say. I think that was the most important thing. I mean, you can news stories uh, uh, the most important thing that you write in journalism, as far as I'm concerned, you know, in terms of learning what is the most important newsworthy elements of any story and, and and basing a structure around it that works and captures people people's attention. So, yeah, absolutely brilliant times. Um um, feel fortunate, as you said in the beginning, to be able to go back and and um, and cover Marine in the FA Cup in the biggest game in the club's history in a totally different capacity. Where I'm not going to piss people off, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> you talked there, obviously, about the Marine and those days. But how important was the grounding of non-league? As you talked about building contacts, a big word was trust. When we spoke to Stuart Pike, the darts and rugby commentator. But how important was that grounding work, going outside your comfort zone, and, and guess the yeah. principles of reporting? I don't think I'd be able to to do the job that I do now without that experience. There's just no yeah. way. I, 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 everything that I do now is based in some way on some of the basic learnings that I I got from that period of time. And you know, I, I must stress it. It, it was like I'm trying to work out. I, I must have done that for the bulk of four years you know without as I said a lot of occasions very rarely would I get paid it'd just be like sort of a thank you every now and again more than anything mm-hmm. and then it did lead to a full-time job I must I must say that but it didn't lead automatically to a full-time job despite doing all that work despite doing all the the getting all the qualifications that I had to get um it was still hard to get in you know that was 15 years uh, when yeah, 15, nearly 15 years Did ago. you ever have any, any doubt, Simon, that yeah. you were ever going to not make it up to where you wanted to go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was it can be quite a long road, that kind of four years covering, a, you know, yeah. a team as small as Marine. It must have been difficult to kind of keep going. There must have been days where you thought, you know, it's, it's yeah. difficult. This. Yeah, definitely. I there were time, I applied for other jobs. and I, I, did, I did think about walking away at times because I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. Uh, applied for jobs that I know that wouldn't have made me happy careers that I know that I wouldn't have, you know, made me motivated 
Um, I remember I applied for, I mean, there was for, for a period of time when I came out of university, I was working for a publishing house um, in Liverpool. It wasn't really about the writing. It was more, you know, from their point of view, it, it was more a money-making exercise. That's the kindest way of putting it, I think. And, um, you know, it did make me think about, well, how am I going to, you know, pay for things? You know what I mean? This journalism is such a shoddily paid job. Like, do I need to think about doing what they're doing by myself? I'm making it better. You know what I mean? I thought about that. There were a few sort of... Um, PR roles outside of football and sports that, that I applied for loads of things like sort of thoughts about going to different parts of the world to try and find, you know, try and find work elsewhere. It, it consumed my thoughts, I would say, up until the point, um, you know, in terms of being satisfied with where I was. I mean, I'd say until I joined the Athletic, I wasn't really satisfied with where I was in a lot of ways, you know, because even, even at the independence, the, the, the responsibility that I had there, this is obviously winding the clock forward, you know, a decade. I mean, I loved working at the independence, but I was sort of on a, I was on a retainer there. So it was a great arrangement because I, I sort of had the freedom to do lots of other things that I enjoyed. But then equally, it didn't give me a great deal of security in terms of, um, being able, knowing that I'd be able to pay the mortgage at the end of the month, you know what I mean? So mm. uh, it wasn't really until the Athletic came along that, that I was able to, I don't want to say relax, but but actually think I'm at a place where I can really put all my energies into this one thing and, and try and make it a success out of it as much as I possibly can. The, the, the platform is there for, for it to, to, to work out on every possible level in terms of, a writing sense, a news gathering sense, a motivational sense, you know, a monetary sense, all those things, it'll tick, it ticks all those boxes. So I remember the first week when I got that job, it, I was working in Southport for the Southport Visitor for about six months. Um, I remember sitting on the, I, I, the first story that I wrote was about a UFO sighting in Southport. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, is this me done now? You know what I mean? Is there any way out here? There was a lot of people there, great reporters, but it finds it found it hard to sort of work the way up the 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 system that was in place on Merseyside, you know, in terms of the journalistic system. People are respected, but there wasn't a great amount of opportunity to sort of to get to where you want to be. And I I, I remember thinking I, I I I dreamt of being like the, the Liverpool Echoes reporter for Liverpool that was like my big aim I like I, I loved reading Chris Bascom's stuff uh Tony Barrett's stuff before that like Rick George I read a lot of his stuff as well and I remember thinking oh, I'd love to do that but it didn't feel even that even though I'd done a lot of work that was relatable I just thought there's no way I'm ever going to get there and after a few years after leaving the Crosby Herald I went and worked for um I went and worked for within the same company, so within Trinity Mirror as, as it was then. I worked uh, for their publications that, that, that produced the Liverpool and Everton's match day programs and, and club magazines. So it was you would I was essentially you know work doing it, the club's job at that time. I wasn't working for the club, but I was working for the people who produced those publications. So it was so exciting when I got that job. It was like wow, you know, we're a bit closer now. It's like this is the job of my dreams at the time. I was thinking, you know, I'm going to be able to go and watch the match. I'm going to be meeting the players, interviewing the players, doing all those things. The, 
like he sort of dreamt of doing only obviously it wasn't from the perspective of being able to really put your own stamp on your writing because it was subjected to what the club wanted people to read, if that makes sense. So, or the what club. year was that, Simon? What year was that? So, that, I started that job in 2007. Right. Um, that was 2007. And when I went for that job, like, I remember again, there were other people who were more experienced than me who would have been better probably better suited to the job. And I, I mean, I was quite lucky in the sense that the, the guy who gave me the job was a fellow called Steve Hanrahan, who's still there now. And he, he liked me. But if I'm being honest, and he's never said this, and I don't want to put words into his mouth, but I was cheap labour as well. So it allowed him to sort of, you know, get get roughly what he wanted, I guess, but, but, but equally sort of maybe not have to pay quite as much to get it. So um, there was... Um, yeah, and I remember, the, like, I, I'd been working in general news at the Crosby Herald for less than less than six months. Yeah, definitely less than six months. Same periods with the, the South Visitor. I was jumping between sites. And my editor at the time, I don't want to mention her name really, but she she advised, advised Steve, I believe, not to give me the job, even though I'd done all the stuff for Marine. And I was like, I can't believe that, like, uh, she. I remember she was, like, saying, you know, don't get your don't get your hopes up too much because you're still too inexperienced. And I was like, yeah, but I'm inexperienced in relative into the system that is created. But in terms of the job spe- specification, I wasn't experienced. Like I'd, I'd done a lot of that work, so I was really frustrated by that. But to be fair to Steve, you know, he went against the advice within the company and gave me the job. So I'll always respect him for that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I did that. I did that for a few, quite a, well, uh, three, three or four years. But I did reach a point where as much as I enjoyed it, getting into Melwoods, getting into Belfields or Finch Farm, you know, meeting people, you know, getting to know sort of the players, the management, the staff, all that stuff. It was like dream world, you know what I mean? But there was a, after a while, I got, I got a bit restless again because I, I, I wasn't really the job that I wanted to do. It was a great in, but ultimately I wanted to... to be a reporter and say actually what was going on, you know, not rather than what necessarily the club wanted you to, to see or read. So I did get pretty restless quite quickly, I'd say. Um, and that, that led to me basically just sending out emails to like some of the national newspapers, chancing it really saying, you know, this is the job that I do. Um, you know, is there any chance of doing any match report or whatever, you know, is that where the independent move came from? No, no, no. The, not, not initially the Telegraph, uh, to my shame politically, um, <laughs> were the first ones to, to come back. And I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that at the time, there were a few people that telegraphed some of the local reporters who I think possibly put in a decent word for me because they, they'd seen my writing and knew, obviously, that, that I, I could do, I could do the, well, I, I could do a bit like, I still needed a lot to iron out in the way that I wrote. I mean, I was I was still uh, still pretty young and, and pretty naive in, in some of the things that I did. But um, I think as well from the Telegraph's point of view, probably helped. They they probably possibly thought, well, if he's still in and around <laughs> Melwoods and Finch Farm, he's probably going to hear a lot of things, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? And 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 they they probably thought, well, it'd be good to get him involved and see what he's like, sort of things. I'm just speculating there. I don't know. I was never really given an answer, to be honest. I never asked for one. As soon as he said, 
can you go to Leeds against Crystal Palace on Saturday? I was like, yes, I'll go. So um, that was me for like two or three years that, after that. I mean, it, that, that was a long, long process as well. I mean, when I think about that, that was the most draining element of it. I, I love doing that, going to matches and uh, seeing, uh, you know, it all boils down to matches, doesn't it? Ultimately, football, mm-hmm. for everything else that is written. And I, 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 I love doing the match report and, you know, the Telegraph would send me to all the places that nobody else wanted to go, if I'm being honest, you know, like sort of in the uh, midweek matches right across the north of England. Uh, we That's had, what probably set you apart, though, which probably helped you further down the line, I guess. It did, yeah, it did. I'm totally yeah. grateful for it, totally grateful for the opportunity because, again, I wouldn't be here now doing what I'm doing without that, you know, without that exposure, I guess. And um, it, it also gave me a bit of extra pay that I didn't have because it was a bad time in journalism. You know, there was post-2008-9, there was no money floating about, no, no pay rises, nothing. You know, my my wage never increased with the cost of living, so I needed to find something somewhere to to give me a bit of a bit of a um, a bit of a bonus that I was never going to get, and th- this was it. So it often meant working six and a half days a week. You know, Saturdays all taken up, Sunday mornings doing your your Monday your Monday match reports as well. Absolutely loved it when I look back. Absolutely brilliant. Like I loved um loved going to all the places that I went and and getting to know other journalists and uh getting to understand the deadline pressure as well, you know, in terms of delivering match reports on the final whistle. Uh big pressure, but loved it. Um but I did, I did sort of reach a point again where I was thinking this is getting a bit much this. I can't just keep year after year on the motorway two or three times a week whilst holding down a full-time job as I, as I was, you know, it was, it was a lot to take on. I'd also started doing a few books at that time for Liverpool, which I'm being totally honest, that was born out of necessity. Like people were like, I never once when I was a kid even thought writing a book would have been possible for somebody of my educational background. I'm not saying that I went to, I went to a good school, a, a decent, you know, decent school, was very modest in my achievements in in, uh, in 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 school. I wasn't particularly good at, you know, I wasn't particularly talented writer or anything like that. Um, so when the opportunity came to go and write a book, I just thought, well, it's a good 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 chance for some new experiences and to earn a little bit more money and 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 see where that goes. So I was doing all that as well at the same time. So it was taking on a lot really and. So to, I know I've like answered this question along. I've let either you guys say anything, so I apologise <laughs> for that. But I'm I'm on a bit of a roll now. So um, so yeah, I got to like uh, got to a point where I was just like thinking, like I do enjoy what I'm doing, but I don't love what I'm doing. And uh, is it sustainable? No, it's not. Like I can't just keep working to this rate. God, you know, every day and night that is given. Yeah, I was I was you know it was tiring. So in the end. Um, the the contract that the the publisher had with Liverpool and Everton came to a bit of a changeover point where it would have been going going back to Trinity Miller. Trinity Miller's actually lost the contract to another company, and it was now going back. And I thought I don't really want to go back there. To be honest, I just thought I've done my bit there. Like it'll feel like I'm I'm not progressing and. I've got to make a bit of call on, on what I want to do and maybe take a bit of a risk. And I was like, I was 30 odds at that point. And 
soon to be married. And I just said to my wife, I can't just keep doing this, you know, because I'm just going to end up burning myself out and then, you know, there'll be all sorts of unhappiness. So, because I do love to, you know, if I do something, I want to do it because I love it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I want to do because I'm passionate about it. And if how, I'm not passionate, how important is that, Simon? Sorry to interrupt. Very important, yeah. How, yeah. Yeah, it's important to do something you enjoy and... Yeah. And like me, I've gone from working at Fleetwood to doing some more photography um, in the last six months due to uh, reasons leaving there and, and doing that, something you love, especially in these times when you can't do go yeah. out and see your friends. For me, it's so important. And I'm guessing that's why you've pushed on to, to write books and obviously make that next step in your career. Yeah, I'd definitely say that. Like, I mean, it's not always possible to do stuff that you enjoy mm-hmm. in, in the sense that like when I go, when I think back about the very beginning of the conversation, there were like certain tasks and roles and responsibilities that I wouldn't have normally taken. But what I sort of thought was that I always had an idea of where I wanted to be, but I was also accepting that if it takes me a little bit of a detour to get there, don't be afraid of that because you might learn something and, and it might mm-hmm. lead you in a direction that you just never expected. So I, but that said, there's a limit to sort of your patience around happiness, I suppose, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it, I, I always felt that um, I, I I sort of think that I've always been fortunate enough to be in a position where I've had the family backing and my wife's my girlfriends or my wife's backing to step away from something that I'm, I'm not necessarily enjoying and then realign my priorities according to where I wanted to get to with where I'm at now. So I got to that point again you know I'd been doing all this um still not really where I wanted to be like sort of felt like I was spinning plates all the time not really able to go and give the level of attention that's needed to be good at something so I decided basically to walk out of a full-time job a month before I got married wow uh, <laughs> big whilst whilst we were trying to move house as well so it was, it was a bit of a big call, but I just thought, you know what, I'm going to back myself here because I thought I've got enough contacts now. I, I think I know what I'm doing. I, I've got a better understanding of what needs to be done to, to make a success out of it. And, you know, I think I've got enough contacts in the game to, to, to sort of write about it and then hopefully enough contacts within the industry to get enough work to just about make it stick. So I managed to get a, a job working again... I had a couple of jobs at the same time. So it was in a publisher, which was like sort of two or three days a week. And then the rest of the time independent with the, you know, the retainer that was on with them and that allowed greater flexibility around book writing as well. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that was a nice balance for for quite a while. I mean, I I was quite lucky that within six weeks of making that decision, Jürgen Klopp came along as Liverpool manager. I mean, straight away, it becomes Liverpool become a club that people want to read about. So, I was quite fortunate, really, on a number of things that, that happened around that. Suddenly, the independent wanted more out of me. The independent on Sunday were, were really having a go at it. And, um, but, then, but then I forget, there's these things that I forget. But, like, within, again, within six months, I remember getting an email, oh, sorry, a phone call off my editor at the Indy. Who'd, I should clarify that as well, how I, I came to go to the Indy, because... Ian Herbert, who was the chief sports writer at the time, he was like one of my close mates in, in journalism, really, and he'd been pushing me for a while to sort of have a go at, at it because he could have done with the help. He was short-staffed and he was absolutely brilliant. Like I'd say, of all the people like sort of who's helped me 
which is not in journalism, it's quite, it is cutthroat. And mm. although people like to make out that they're helping you, and some people do, I'd say there's very few, well, I'd say it's it's not just in journalism, it's in life. There's, there's very few people in life who like genuinely like sort of want to try and help and are doing it for right reasons and, and, and do it because they like you and, and want, want you to see you do well. And he's one of those people, like I'm eternally grateful to his um for his influence over the years. He, he was just absolutely brilliant. And certainly those early days at the end, he like really fought my corner and tried to um tried to get me in there and get me as much work as possible. So for that I'll always be thankful. But he um within within six months he announced that the paper was going online and there were lots of people being made redundant and I was like, oh shit. Like what what happens now? You know what I mean? But thankfully again I was fortunate that Merseyside as a place, you know, there's a demand for football reporting in that area. So if I had to come from somewhere else, I might have been in a bit of a sticky situation at that point. Um, I think I was just going to jump in there, Simon, if I can. I mean, we've worked with a load of people from Merseyside, uh, you know, both both Liverpool, Everton, you know, from, from an outsider's point of view, you know, I'm from near Leeds. Leeds is kind of similar to Liverpool in, in the terms of its city kind of feel, really. And, and football is just, it's an obsession, really. And I think that's the best way to describe it. And certainly around Liverpool and Everton, it's like a religion, really. And that must have helped you at the time to, okay. you know, to, to keep your, you know, because you're not, you're not going to lose that interest from that part of the world. Because like I say, it's just yeah. an obsession, really. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, whether Liverpool are doing well or badly, there'll always be an interest in what's happening particularly, I'd say, Liverpool. But in terms of the appetite for football in the city, it, it's, um, I do think it's on a totally different level. And the interest, not just, I wouldn't say just the football, but the interest in Liverpool as a place. I mean, it's, it's a place that, that does divide opinion. Um, and whenever I write about Liverpool, I mean, I've always tried to write about Liverpool in a sort of social context, really. And you'd always see the reactions of... Uh, of, of people, you know, would always, if, if you sort of try and explain why Liverpool is possibly a little bit different culturally to other places, it tends to provoke quite a reaction. I think people just think that everyone should think and act the same when, you know, Liverpool's history is a bit different to that. I think it is, it does have, a, I know every place has a unique history, doesn't it? You know, we can't, and everyone everywhere is a bit different, but I just think, for, for a lot of different reasons. You know, Liverpool's links with Ireland, immigrant city, used to be one of those powerful cities in, in the British Empire, got shot on from a great height. You know, this all contributes to the way people feel and the why the reactions are different and why it provokes such conversations. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a, I, I, I feel very lucky to come from a city that, that is, you know, very relevant as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's exciting at the moment. Nowhere is exciting, but when Liverpool is 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 sort of bouncing, it's just such an exciting place to be. And um, yeah, I, I do feel very lucky because if, if it had come from somewhere else, maybe at that time, no matter your talent, contacts, you know, ability, they could have quite easily just said, "Well, you know what? There isn't a demand for mm-hmm. for what you're doing here." So I could have found myself in a in a, in a bad position where quite quite quickly. Um, so yeah, yeah, very lucky. I mean, there was, um, yeah, there was, there was a few other things, you know, like sort of, you, 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 
your my, my life at the indie was like sort of I always felt it was subject to who I was working for as well. And there was quite a, a lot of change over the staff with editors and this, that, and the other. Some editors I didn't like, <laughs> you know, and always felt like, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was being listened to sometimes, I wasn't being trusted with the information that I was I was giving them or my context around stories wasn't being listened to. I found that really frustrating. There were other editor, other by and large, two of the editors, Matt Gatwoods, who I first had, was excellent, really understanding of my position being on a retainer. Then Ed Malian came in, who's key to the athletic story. And I was when Ed came in, I thought, well, you might not fancy me, you know what I mean? He might have somebody else who he thinks is good at the job and might might, might have his own ideas. So that was obviously a bit concerning at the time. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd sort of reached that point with D&D um, two years ago, really, where, where I heard again that Ed was moving on and I was like, oh my God, like what's going on now? Like who's, who's going to come in and are they going to think differently? Are they going to want to go a different way with Merseyside coverage? I thought I'd done a decent job, but there might be other people that they like. I know sometimes there's been times in the past when I've missed out on jobs because of friendships, you know, between mm. editors and old school journalists who they promised jobs. That happened to me in a couple of places. I know that for an absolute fact. I was told, I was told by the, the editor himself. I was like, what chance have you got? You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, so there's a lot, there's a, you've got to hold, hold your nerve and, back yourself at times a lot. And I, I've, I've ended up actually walking out of, in total, two more or less full-time jobs into, into a bit of a uncertainty in the hope that things would work out. And I think sometimes when you do that, particularly if you do that and you're in the right position to do it, it will work out because you're more deter- you know, you're determined to make it work and you, you back yourself. But I'm just so glad that you know the pandemic didn't come along two years ago sounds terribly selfish and know, but like you know if the athletic hadn't launched and there was no ability for me to go out and and um and do the job that i was doing then i, I would have been in a bit of a bit of a tricky situation again so there's a bit of luck along the way i got a bit of luck with the time of the athletic launch and because I'd, I'd, I'd basically decided to to sit on my retainer with the indie because Liverpool were doing so well, I thought they're going to they're going to be loads of reporting around Liverpool at that that, t- that period, and then get a book deal, which it did. But then after that, I was thinking, what do we do then? I'm not really sure what what to do. So that was when the Independent I got the phone call off Ed, who said, "Don't worry, you're not going to be able to work." And I was like, "What do you mean by that?" And he was like, "Well." I've got something going down. And I was like, well, what does this mean? <laughs> can you just tell me? Any chance you can give us a shout? <laughs> yeah, could just, he said, well, I want you involved in it. And I was like, all right, okay. So I got a bit excited then. And, you know, I, I must say that, like, the, the, the launch, and that, that summer, Liverpool won the European Cup. You know, that was a, that was a, a, a lifelong dream for me, fulfilled, because I'd always wanted to go and report on Liverpool winning the European Cup, and to win that was just uh, to, to 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 be able to go and write about it throughout that period was just incredible. Like just absolutely yeah. glory, glory periods. You can never take that away, you know, from my memory. Like it'll always be there. And um, was that bigger then, than when they won the league for you, Simon? Well, in, in some because with Liverpool, it seems obviously their history is more with 
you know, you compared to someone like Man United, that their history is more with European Cups more yeah. than anything. Really. Well, in a weird way, no, nobody will agree with me on this. In a weird, for a, on a on a personal level, it felt better. Yeah, it did because of the circumstance around clinching the title after thirty years in the middle of a pandemic. Like I, yeah. I'd never, I'd, I'd I'd spent a lot of time thinking about like oh how that would look, how it would feel, how I'd react, what you'd do that summer. You know, and, and obviously a lot of that was sort of taken away by the pandemic. And again, it sounds selfish and it's not, not about me or about Liverpool. Everyone's suffering, but everyone's lost sort of something somewhere along the line, haven't they, you know, throughout this whole period. And I, I, I never thought it'd be like that or feel like that. I mean, it was great. Obviously, Liverpool win the league was great, but it did sort of feel like from the moment they beat Man United 2-0 at Anfield's, Last January, I can't really really remember much after that in terms of the footy, you know, in terms of, oh, do you remember that moment or this moment? Didn't really feel that way. So, um, whereas the Champions League the year before, for me, um, was just, just uh, you know, to, to I've always wanted to be paid, <laughs> to be paid to go and, you know, cover matches abroad, you know, and, and, and be a part of that and to be able to put my own stamp on things and, was was incredible. The year before was amazing as well, Kiev. I know they lost. I mean, I've got some brilliantly fond memories of, of that whole period. Like, I remember, like, maybe I shouldn't say this, but, like, my favourite match report that I've written of my, you know, myself, that I've written was was the Rome game away when they, they got through, even though Liverpool lost in that game, because my dad had gone to the European Cup final in 77 in the same stadium. And, like, I always remember thinking, I wonder what that feels like. I'm never going to sort of be able to f- experience that sort of thing. And I remember just like after the game, just it, it felt, it was the only time where I've actually felt like the writing was easy in some ways. Like I always, everybody puts loads of pressure on themselves, particularly when you're under the time pressure deadline. And um, as, as everybody was that night, and I just remember writing that piece and thinking, you know, I'm happy with the piece. I don't... F- just felt nice, you know what I mean. I don't know what it was. It's hard to describe. Yeah. Well, unless you, I suppose you, when you've been under time pressure and the deadlines around and people are phoning you, I'd had all sorts of connectivity problems during the game as well. I was during the actual game. I was trying to book my travel to Kiev for the final because obviously the flights were being all taken up and everything else. So the second half's going on. Liverpool keep on conceding goals. I was thinking, I've gone and booked these flights and they're going to get knocked out now. So when the final <laughs> whistle went, I was like, oh my God, it's like just relief, you know, and I uh, managed to get all my, 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 um, my travel sorted out and then file a report just, at, just after. And it, it all worked out happily in the end anyway. But like all that sort of pressure was was brilliant to, to experience. And, uh, you know, it, it's sort of what, I suppose, when, when you start off covering Marine, playing Frickly Athletic, on a Tuesday night in front of, you know, a, a chicken farm at one end <laughs> and a burnt house house and a seat on the other. That's what you sort of dream of, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like to be in Rome, the sun shining and full house, like great atmosphere. Like the noise inside that stadium that night was just incredible. Today's podcast is brought to you by the nationally acclaimed Friends of Ham Bar and Chartery. Friends of Ham have recently launched their online shop to bring people all over the country some of their finest artisan cheese, natural wines and craft beers that the world has to offer. 
whether it's a few drinks, nibbles, or a whole night in. Friends of Ham have you covered with everything from small portions of meat or cheese for cooking, cheese and meat platters, as well as substantial food and drink pairing experiences. Nationwide deliveries are available. Go and check them out at www.friendsofham.com for an exclusive 10% discount. The Press Room podcast listeners can use the code PRESSROOM10 at checkout for the 10% discount. Obviously, we've talked a little bit about the obviously you moved to the athletic and the Marine story as well, but that Jose Mourinho thing going, going there and having fans behind him, having Prosecco on the, the balcony, just, just great memories for, for football. And I guess for you as well, looking back at, at where you started. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I loved that week, you know, just after Christmas again, I said at the beginning, but it, it did remind me of why you go in, you go into the job, um, you know, it's face to face contacts, learning, about the game again. I learned loads that week. I mean, I think a lot of people consider non-league football to just be still a little bit like you turn up on a Saturday, you get your boots on, you get out and play. It's like there's far more goes into it than that. And and um you know particularly the manager Neil Young was um absolutely brilliant. You know, I mean he put a lot of trust in me because he basically divulged exactly what he was trying to do tactically against Tottenham trusting me not to obviously tell anybody about it I mean I don't I think he was always know he always knew of course that the Tottenham would win the game and what he was trying to do was damage limitation but you know he, he did go there with a plan and tried to try to do something which when you see the level of detail and planning that went into it it was unfailable to be impressed and um, it, remind, it also reminds me that football has moved along a lot, I think, since when I first started reporting on it, when to some extent, you know, non-league management was about like motivation and mm-hmm. you know the manager like sort of ranting and raving at the players and, and sort of getting the very basics right. It was actually quite to some to some extent what he what he was trying to do was was quite advanced. You'd expect to see in a, a professional environment. So very impressive. Um but then to get back to sort of, as you're saying there about like um, Mourinho being at, at Marine, just insane, really. I'd never have ever have believed that that was ever going to happen. And um, I mean, I, I travelled with the team on on the bus on the way from the, the hotel to to the ground at College Road, and it was again, it was just incredible. It was. I have to be careful how I frame this, but there were obviously people lying in the streets. Mm-hmm. People saw the photographs online, were saying, "Oh, you know." Lots of people out on the streets. It's terrible. Not paying respect to the pandemic. But I was there. And actually, there were a lot of people. People were mainly separated, all covered up with masks, all being very careful. You know what I mean? And when you see a photograph from ground level, it looks like there's lots and lots and lots of people being irresponsible. You can't have that conversation with somebody on Twitter, unfortunately, because there's not enough room for the level of context that's needed in any sane discussion. But you could say that about anything. But... You know, I just kept on thinking, I was at the front of the bus and you could see the streets lined with people. I mean, imagine if it was possible to play that game with some crowd, even like 500 people. It would have been absolutely brilliant, you know what I mean? I, yeah. It was it was just like, sort of thing that just, you know, again, just a scene that I will never forget. Uh, for positive reasons, despite what, you know, Barry from... Uh, somewhere in some other parts of the country says <laughs> on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I spent the whole week with the team and, and, and 
players were great. You know, players again. I mean, some of it it's a little bit sad in some ways because I remember when I first started watching Marine. You know, the the, the site that I have in my mind was the day they won the league title uh, for the first time in '94, and everyone piled into the clubhouse. It was just a massive piss up. You know, I was too young to join in. Wished that it wasn't. You know the big, you know, strong, barely men, you know, and the game's changed again now. A lot of the players are like sort of really fit, you know, not few of them do drink really. Um, um, you sort of, you sort of think a little bit, a little something somewhere has been lost. I don't know what it is. Well, the spirit amongst the players was great. Really nice lads, really, uh, really positive environments. Um, really impressed by how they handled the week. You know, they, 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 had the biggest game in their lives. The whole world was watching them. I only saw nerves in the team meeting an hour before, uh, in the hour before we drove from the, the hotel to the um, to the grounds. You know, remember, it was funny. Like one of the players, Jay Devan, I think I put in the piece was like, just shouts out. Is anybody else? Is anybody else shitting themselves now? <laughs> it was like a few like sort of nervous laughter, and then a couple of lads like chipped in. It was, you know, it was just sort of that sort of gallows basic humour that I, I do appreciate. So, um, so yeah, yeah, it, it was, it was a great weekend and it was a nice way to sort of, in some way, round off the, my, my, my story with Marine because, um, I do still try and go like as much as I can, but even being honest, like I think that in the long term, my relationship with the club did suffer because of the job that it did. You know what I mean? It's like, it was never as, as personal after that, you know, in terms of, uh, I think when you, you, you're reporting on an on-league club, a lot of the people are sort of volunteers, aren't they? And if you, mm-hmm. any layer of criticism, people take it to heart, understandably, I, I suppose. But I guess if you're running an on-league club, you are handling money and, and dealing with a, a, a public service as well. So it's striking that balance. And for a long time, I, 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 even being totally honest, never felt entirely that welcome with the club. Maybe it was just me being paranoid, but... Um, I suppose it helped. Obviously, the Athletic, I must, must stress, had a sponsorship agreement with Marine for the week, um, which which was possible because, to a large extent, you know, I, th- I think I think when they started dangling money in front of um, Marine, I think that some of the healed some relationships, shall we say. Um, sounds oh, is often often the case. Yeah, yeah, it sounds terrible to say, but no, but everyone was great great with me at the club, and it was. Um, Quite a privilege to be at the game, but just just a shame that nobody was there, you know. Because when, when you get like five, four or five hundred at Marine, it feels like there's four or five thousands. So even if you'd have been able to get like sort of the, the the normal crowds in there, I think it would have created generated a really good atmosphere. I think it's a nice way to uh, end the main part of the podcast, there, Simon. I, I think the the full circle of the Marine story is is superb, really. Um, and certainly very unique to you, and I, I think that's really you know something that, that I know you'll you'll probably treasure has been quite special, really. Yeah. Um, so. We've got we've got some kind of quick fire questions here, Simon. Some we've had sent in, and some that we've kind of um, devised ourselves. And the, the first one for someone who's been to a lot of games from you know Marine to Madrid and, and everything in between. What's the what's the favourite ground that you've you've been to? I, I mean, I remember, I remember. Most recent, I suppose it's still quite recent. I mean, going to the new Camp for the Champions League semi-final, you know, it's it's incredible arena, isn't it? I mean, it's it's an it's a, it is it is a cathedral of football, isn't it? And I remember pinching myself when I was there, thinking, "Oh my God!" Like 
you know, again, it sounds selfish and a bit self-indulgence. Well, not selfish, but self-indulgence when you're thinking, always relate everything back to yourself. But you can't help but think if you've got any sense of perspective about where you've been from, where you, where you started out. And I remember thinking the new camp's just incredible, you know what I mean? And, and, and a Messi's performance that night was just like, oh my God. It was like, how Liverpool managed to get through from that position, I will never know. Um, because Messi, uh, uh, that was the best before. I don't think even think Messi was at seventy percent that night, and it was still the best performance I've ever seen in my life. So for me, I will always remember that. You know, I, I, will, I will never forget that. But in terms of like the actual stadium, it's different. You know, one of the grounds that I, I love going to in England is, is St James's Park. I just think mm-hmm. it's just a brilliant football ground, great place to watch football. Particularly if you're in the press, you're right close. You're really close to the uh, just behind the dugouts, the dugouts yeah. And, yeah. and you can hear everything that's going on. Um, it helps your match report because you can see the interactions if there are any between the the players and the staff and the the the, the, the two benches. I just think it's a great football round, and it, it it really frustrates me in some ways. I've got no interest in terms of emotional interest in Newcastle, but you just think if they got it right there, they'd be. They'd absolutely fly in Newcastle. You know, the attendances are so good, a massive stadium, great atmosphere. It usually is pretty rowdy as well, I, I think. And yeah, I'd say I'd say within England, um, I'd say I'd say St James's Park is one of them. Because yeah, I don't like these like these modern football bowl grounds. You know what I mean? I, I like grounds which have usually like sort of uh, you know four, four different stands, for example. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd probably say those, those two stick out. I'm just like frantically trying to think, you know, grounds across Europe. But um, if anything else pops back yeah, into your yeah, mind, yeah. you probably, I probably know the answer to this one. Going back to the the favourite grounds and the game you just talked about. But what's the favourite game that you've been to? Um, just personally, again, whether it was for work or or just for you, I'm guessing it's that Liverpool Barcelona famous <laughs> comeback. Yeah, it's boring, isn't it? But in some ways, it's a boring answer. But I still can't believe it happens. I still can't believe that that, that outcome happens. And um, it was just like I don't know. It, it, it was a it was a special period, you know, from a working point of view, personal point of view, from Liverpool's point, you know, from mm-hmm. Liverpool perspective. You know, just when you think everything you've got no chance and everything around you is crumbling, something spectacular happens and. It was an incredible, incredible night. Like, I'll, I'll never, ever forget that. I mean, I know people talk about the Chelsea game in 2005. Um, I think that's that, that a lot of that, the conversation around that is because of the defiance, you know, of obviously beating, beating Chelsea when Liverpool were so far behind. And I don't like comparing matches and ranking them, but for, but, but for me, like, that, that Barcelona game is the best one um, in terms of the atmosphere. And mm-hmm. again, the working responsibilities. Uh, I'd say Dortmund as well in Klopp's first season. I was, was going to say, yeah, I was I was at that game, Simon the Dorp. I was working that night at Anfield. It was incredible. Yeah, incredible. it was incredible. I mean, incredible. again, the last few years, I do sort of relate things back to work because I'm invariably working when I'm at the match. So I remember the Dortmunds one because obviously they were 3-1 behind, weren't they, with only about 25 mm. minutes to go. And Ian Herbert, I was working with Ian at the time and he was sitting next to me. We were right on the edge of the, the press box and the second half, usually, as a reporter, when you're working to the final whistle of match reports, delivery, you don't see much of the second half. And Ian's head was down. As soon as they scored the third, 
it was down as mine would have been. And I just remember Ian like sort of he made it three two, and then Ian like looked up at me with a, like a bit of a worried look almost that he might have to change his match report. Then it went to three three, and he was just like, "Oh my god!" And then when it went to four three. He like I thought he was going to collapse. You know what I mean? It was just so funny watching the, the you know, watching this like because he's obviously he writes beautifully, Ian, and was like sort of had to change his whole match report in the last few minutes, which is always a nightmare for any reporter. But I, I was only happy to at that at that point. I um, think Lovren scored in injury time, didn't it? Yeah, that was a winning goal. He did, yeah. yeah. That that felt like the start of the change at Liverpool. But then, as I said, the Barcelona one again. Personally, I remember like filing me. Rep- I didn't find I was quite fortunate that night because they wanted the independent wanted an overnighter, which meant you could go home and file it as late as you want. Nobody was going to pick it up until six o'clock in the morning, and then the reports would go online seven or eight. And um I um I went home. Like I just thought, you know what? I'm not a lot of people sometimes a lot of reporters sometimes file a report in the ground and get home and then that's it. You know what I mean? I thought, you know what, I want to take all this in. And really think about what this all means and try and pile it into this this report that I was doing. And so I just sort of wandered around Anfields, you know, sort of aimlessly for an hour or two, just trying to compute, you know, sort of trying to save in the moment, really. I got home and me my wife, who's like she, she's from a family of Evertonians, and she I wouldn't say she grew up an Everton Everton fan, but she 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 had Everton sympathies. That that's that's changed uh, since she's met me over the course. I don't think she. So you took that out of her now. Yeah, I think so. But <laughs> she, she, um, she. Uh, I remember getting home that night because she, she'd not long, uh, she'd not long fallen pregnant. So that was a bit of a obviously a big deal as well. And she was in bed. It was obviously gone midnight, maybe one o'clock in the morning. I just poked my head around the door and said, "I've got to go crack on with my report." And she was like, what was the score? And I said, 4-0. And she went, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, they won 4-0. <laughs> and she honestly, I've never seen her jump out of bed. Like, I've never, she's never shown any reaction to football like that. I just, it was just insane. And for like the next hour, she wanted to know everything that has happened. She was like, because the week before, obviously, we'd been to Barcelona. Uh, lost 3-0. In that week, I'd found the, the Ed Malian of the Independent. In that, in that um, trip... I found that Ed was leaving. I was a bit unsure about where this was all going to lead for the Indy. And a week later, obviously Liverpool had gone through, the Athletic had come about, and things were suddenly looking up again. So it was like the seesaw of emotions, I think, for both of us, really. And she she sort of rode that with me. She's, It was just incredible. I don't think I filed the report until about five that morning and then got up at about seven. You find it a bit crazy that with... You, you, I mean, I remember watching the game myself and, and the whole of Merseyside was just, you know, it, it erupted pretty much. And then you, you'd gone through all the emotions, you'd been at the game, you're kind of wandering around, like you say, for an hour or two, trying to collect your thoughts about what you're going to write. And then you get home and she's not even watched the match. She's no, <laughs> literally no idea what's gone on. That To go from the one extreme of the whole world's a million miles an hour and then you come back home and, oh, what was the score oh, it's of the hard, game? it's hard, yeah. It is Weird, hard. It is. It, I, I think, like, after the game, like that, particularly when you've been working on it, I find it hard to sleep. I don't know. The players must find it really hard because the adrenaline's going because you're, by and large, trying to file something to deadline as well. So that creates a certain amount of adrenaline. I'd say that 
that is the you know for any young journalist like that is the biggest like shock really when just how pressurized that, that sort of moment is. And I had a bit bit more time that day or that night. Um but what 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 I've I've always been like sort of really keen to do is I mean I know people might listen to this and think oh he's a Liverpool fan covering Liverpool, you know, there's too much fans in this, but everyone goes into football, majority of reporters following somebody. And I, I, I think, you know, that you, I still, I'd like to think that I've always held the club to account, you know what I mean, on, on, on big issues. Like only last week, you know, writing about the, the, the big risk that the club are taking as far as I'm concerned um, in relation to not signing somebody in the January transfer window in terms of financial state around it. You know, I, I, I'd like to think that, it, you know, I do. And it's just something that people pounce on when, you know, they're, they're sort of maybe unhappy about their own club's fortunes, I think, sometimes. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've always found that the key, the hardest thing in, in many ways, particularly the way the football has been under Jürgen Klopp, where there's been so many, like, sort of ridiculous moments, you know, where you're just thinking and ha- you're thinking, how has this happened? You know, very emotionally charged moments. Like as a reporter, you've got to allow a bit of that into your reporting because clearly, you know, it's an emotional game and it does influence the outcome. And I think in writing, it helps to have a bit of that emotion in, but then equally, you can't let the report become consumed by that emotion. You've got to, as you said, gather your thoughts and, and think, you know, strategically what this all means, you know, it, not just for the game, but in the medium term and the long term and everything else. So it's quite a, a, a difficult skill. You're sort of like lurching between feeling like uh, one way and another way. And I often find the glory, any glory that's attached to football only comes maybe the day later when you think, wow, like... <laughs> What have I just done there? What, happened? Yeah. What, what has just happened? What have I just been involved? You know, what, what how is it, how, and the, the pleasure attached to it, I'd say the glory, not the, the glory, the, the pleasure attached to it probably comes a little bit later. I think that's one thing if you're, um, if you, if you're in journalism, don't go into it for the immediate hit of pleasure because it's, it seldomly works out like that, I think. This is a question, Simon, that we're going to ask every one of our guests, especially on the first series. Whether it continues, we don't know. Um, but we know that sports broadcasters, journalists, photographers, they're travelling up and down the country. But what we want to know is what is your go-to meal deal, whether it's Tesco's, Asda, what's your sandwich, pasty, pie choice, crisps, side and oh, drink? Wow. Um, if I had the option, this is going to sound very middle class, but... If there's an if there's an MS, Marks and Spencer's in at a motorway service station, that's where I gravitate towards because I know their BLT sandwiches are better. But yeah, I'd, I'd say if there's MS, I'd I'd go there. Like I'm always like suspicious of like Ginster's pies and stuff like that. I've got to be honest. Um I mean, I mean again, it's it's again it maybe I'm fortunate that like sort of some of the Premier League grounds when you go to Go into the press rooms. The foods, the food ranges from very bad to actually very good. I, I think so. Sometimes I, I'll, I'll hold back and see what's uh, what's going on in the press room beforehand. Um, and you built up them years of experience to know which ones are good and which ones are not. So yeah, good, yeah. Like I remember, I mean, obviously close to Fleetwood Blackpool, you used to get these like particularly when Oyston was there. Who, fair to say, didn't have much respect for the press. Used to get these like just like 
cheese sandwiches, but they were like cut into these tiny little triangles and all the crusts were all like, I think the bread must have been about a month old, you know what I mean? They'd been left out on Blackpool Beach. Like, it was just like, yeah, that was not one to follow. But to be fair, to, I suppose Blackpool had like sort of gone gone into the Premier League unexpectedly at the time. But um, yeah, they, they rank amongst the worst. I mean, it sounds terrible. To, I mean, I know like some people listen to this think, oh, journalists just getting fat, eating all the pre- foods in the press room. But there are some places that are better than us. Like Man City, <laughs> Uh, uh, to have a reputation for being good and Chelsea are good and Arsenal as well I mean for, for the period Arsenal was like restaurant standard food it's like incredible yeah. we went to Leicester didn't we in the FA Cup with Fleetwood and we were like oh let's get a few sandwiches and stuff like that and there was curry there was yeah, pies yeah. and we were like I'm yeah. in dreamland now this is where I want to be <laughs> yeah 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 no there, there, there are some funny tales around that sort of thing because I remember I wasn't there unfortunately I wish I was but um James Pierce, who's obviously my colleague at the Echo, uh, sorry, not the Echo, he was at the Echo, and we're now both at the Athletic. He uh, accidentally once, instead of pouring gravy onto his, onto his, uh, must have been a pie dinner, poured soup all over it. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody took great delight in that. You know what journalists are like? They like seeing other people's misfortunes, don't they? So, um, so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The answer, let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> Middle class M and S. Anything in particular, so, sandwich wise, oh, sandwich um, crisp choice. No, not, well, no, I'd have. I, I I would usually, you know what? I'd usually if I'm in a particularly greedy mood, I'll have ham and mustard M and S sandwich, which is really nice and decent value, plus some form of pasta, one of the smaller pasta pots. So that's what I go for with with just some water to wash it down. Good choice. Good choice. Mm. Very middle class, Simon. I'll give it you is, that. Yeah. I'd rather uh, have a pint if it was possible, but obviously if you're driving somewhere. Oh, you don't try and redeem yourself now. It's done now. <laughs> yeah, I want to be one of the, man of the people now. One of the, one of the lads. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think, uh, Simon, I'm, I'm conscious that we've kept you for a long time there, mate, and, and I think it's been a real fascinating um, conversation, definitely, with some great uh, experience, some great tales, um, and showing people that it's possible to go from, you know, from right at the not right at the bottom, but close to the bottom of the football pyramid all the way to the top. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, with the work that you're doing in the Athletic now, which is proving to be really popular and really successful, that, you know, I'm sure the next few years, um, you know, will continue to be successful for you and hopefully for Liverpool as well. Um, but, you know, from, from both of us, thanks so much mm-hmm. for joining us, mate. We've, uh, we've loved having you on and um, hopefully, uh, hopefully see you again soon. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks very much. Hi everyone, remember to follow our Twitter page at Press Room Pod for latest updates, guest announcements and to have your chance to put forward questions to our guests.